listening to the National Hispanic Media Coalition's Public Affairs Talk Show, Straight Up, on KHBGLP Radio 101.5 FM, the station that gives the mic back to the people, your mic, your voice, your community. I am your host, Brenda Castillo-Nogales. Our show, Straight Up, gets straight to the point. No tiptoeing around here on subjects or no-nonsense. Our discussions are everything and anything related to the human experience, including subjects that people are told to stay away from, like religion, sex, and politics. The time is now to get rid of the clutter and just talk straight up. And today's guests are members of the Coalition Against Hate, a coalition made up of more than 55 diverse organizations with one common goal, to break hate. Welcome to Straight Up, Yanira Arias, National Campaigns Manager at Eliza Americas, Masi Fulari, Advocacy Manager for the Council of American Islamic Relations, and Alex Nogales, CEO and President of the National Hispanic Media Coalition. So let's talk straight up, people. I want to know what is happening to America with all this hate speech and hate crimes that are going on all around us. Hate crimes in the nine U.S. metropolitan areas rose more than 20% last year. And then this past August, the far-right rally took place in Charlottesville, Virginia. These protesters included white supremacists, white nationalists, neo-Confederates, neo-Nazis. Some of the marchers chanted racist and anti-Semitic slogans, carried semi-automatic rifles, swastikas, Confederate flags, anti-Muslim and anti-Semitic banners, including Trump and Pence signs. This isn't happening in a foreign country, you guys. This is happening right here in the United States of America. Why are we allowing these domestic terrorists to protest, spill hate, and bring violence into our streets? If you're asking me, I can tell you we're allowing it because we have something called the First Amendment. And uh, we're all for the First Amendment, but this is getting out of control. As you know, a lot of these people have clubs, baseball bats, firearms, very provocative. And so it was was a, a miracle that someone didn't get shot. Someone didn't get killed with a knife or with a belly club. But someone did get killed. Someone Someone did get killed. That's right. And a lot of people were violently injured. That's right. Absolutely right. And I think it's really important to really focus on what the issue is. And this country has a history of violating civil rights of so many minorities, whether it's the Jewish community, uh, the Hispanic community, the Chinese community, Japanese community. Um, right now, we're seeing a rise in hate incidents and hate crimes impacting the Muslim American community and other immigration issues that are really impacting um, the Latino community. So keeping ourselves on message and making sure that we're controlling our narrative, making sure that, again, when these protests are occurring, even in California, we had one recently in Laguna that was scheduled. I think about 18 people turned out. And on the other side, the, anti, uh, the counter-protesters, there was a couple of hundred people. So making sure that whenever these actions are um, being brought to our cities, we're turning out in larger numbers and making sure that uh, we're standing for American principles because these people are not. You know, one of the things that is very interesting to note um, is that it starts at the very top. We have a president that even before he was elected was telling us what he was going to do. He was telling us what he was going to achieve not only a wall in terms of Latinos, but we were supposed to be criminals. We were supposed to be all these terrible things. So he 
is the hate messenger in chief. He's been doing hate messaging from the very beginning, enabling all these people, Ku Klux Klaners, the Nazis, all of these different people to act out their hatred. And we find ourselves, for your question, we're finding ourselves right in the middle of the crosshairs because of that, because the president that we have right now is letting it go and he is indulging himself and indulging that population with hate speech. I completely agree with you, Alex. If CARE actually released, CARE California released our uh, civil rights report today, and that data shows that whether it's um, hate crimes, discrimination, um, random searches by law enforcement, all of those numbers are up across the board. And this is a report that focuses on the 2016 um, civil rights cases that were reported to our four offices here in California, Sacramento, San Francisco, San Diego, and our office in L.A. Um, and these people are feeling um, emboldened because of our president, because of the rhetoric uh, surrounding the selection cycle. And just looking at the numbers, um, we had 1,239 cases reported to us statewide. We've already hit that number statewide um, this year, and we're not even through with the year. So we know that people, again, are taking the president's words to heart, feeling empowered, feeling emboldened, um, and then going out and acting in, in what is a criminal way and what is violating the civil rights of others. But one thing I wouldn't want people to lose hope on um, is the fact that there are advocacy organizations um, like CARE, like the National Hispanic uh, Media Coalition, that we've came together and we built this coalition, the Coalition Against Hate. Um, and we've been organizing, we've been getting people to turn out to these protests. And a lot of the things that this administration has been trying to do, they haven't been able to do because of our efforts. Um, and that bond that we've created and that power that we've created as a community of minorities um, really is going to go a long way in the next couple of years. Yanita, why don't you um, share with us why your organization decided to join the Coalition Against Hate? Sure, Brenda. And uh, first of all, we're very proud to be a member of the Coalition Against Hate because we, as Alianza Americas, we believe that it's uh, calling a politician out for Islamophobia, xenophobia, racism, misogyny is not a matter of exerting undue influence by favoring one political party over another. Not it, it's a matter of uh, not neither disrespecting the presidency. Naming Mr. Trump a speech is such a matter of a moral imperative to keep the American values um, as a core of having uh, safer communities, a community where diversity is honored. And uh, why we see the coalition against hate as the state for elevating the voices of the communities that are impacted by hate speech, we believe that by coming together is the only way to demonstrate that it's a one voice against one single group promoting hate. Absolutely. And then something else as well, okay? I think we've all gotten to the point now where we're saying this cannot go unchallenged. From here on out, we're going to challenge everything that these groups have to say, uh, challenge everything that this president has to say. Because when everything is said and done, he has branded himself for what he is, a racist himself. Let me share a statistic here. The Southern Poverty Legal Center reported 892 active hate groups in 2015, which of course was an increase from the previous year. 
Of those hate groups, around 20% were KKK branches, 20% were black separatists, 20% general hate, 10% neo-Nazis, 10% racist skinheads, and 10% white nationalists, and the rest were neo-Confederate and Christian identity groups made up the rest of the total. All these groups are now being referred to, or I refer them especially to the domestic terrorists, anti-Americans, and they are hiding behind the veil of the First Amendment to excuse their hate speech and violence. Do they have a point? Does the First Amendment protect their hate speech? You have to make a clear distinction between what's uh, hate of protected between by the First Amendment and what constitutes a threat. Um, if someone's walking around with a gun uh, in a crowded area um, spewing hate, you know that coming into this protest, um, they've told various um, people on social media that we're going to kill people, we're going to hurt people. At that point, that no longer is um, free speech. You know there's a very good chance of a threat happening and a law enforcement needs to step up and make sure that violence does not occur. Uh, they didn't do that in Charlottesville and we saw what happened. Um, but uh, if those threatening situations, that, that weapon isn't there, those um, premeditated kind of thoughts and communication doesn't occur, uh, then we need to let people voice their opinions and we need to make sure that our voices are even louder. But it's all in the measure of safety and making sure that the community is safe. So it stands up. It really is a responsibility of the cities to put rules and regulations as to why this group or that group is going to demonstrate at a park or a particular place, okay? They have to say, okay, you can demonstrate if you wish. You have free speech. So do the counter-protesters. But what you cannot do is bring weapons. You cannot bring spikes. You cannot bring baseball bats. You cannot bring knives. You cannot bring firearms. And right now, um, that has to be the rule of, of the land. I mean, that's not what happened in uh, Charlottesville. I mean, there they were uh, unabashedly coming in uh, to this demonstration with guns and knives and banners and everything else. Well, let me remind you that the aftermath of the Second World War, countries like Germany, Poland, Hungary, Austria passed hate legislation decades ago. And Canada and Mexico also have laws prohibiting hate speech against targeted, identifiable groups. French laws allows for the prosecution of public insults based on religion, race, race, ethnicity, or national origin. What's going on in Japan? Well, Japan uh, did the same thing. They did it last year, 2016. Uh, there have been too many demonstrations where um, the hate speech had gotten out of control. They were talking about, you know, killing as many uh, Koreans as possible. Uh, they were doing these kinds of things very openly and very nakedly. So at a certain point, it was too much discord. It was too much uh, hatred. It was too many hate crimes. So they decided, you know, this is enough. We can't continue to go this way. So they, they, uh, they put a law into effect in 2016 saying no more of this hate speech is going to be something that we can prosecute and will prosecute. And maybe we should be doing this here in the United States. We have a love affair with the First Amendment. And that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, you might remember that uh, seven years ago, we did what is called a petition to um, a petition of inquiry at the Federal Communications Commission. And it was about what is hate speech? 
when is it good speech and when does it go um, into bad speech? And so the commission has not, as of yet, said that they're going to do an inquiry. Everybody's a, uh, 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 very afraid to cross that barrier and say, you know, uh, we're going to um, outlaw the First Amendment, free speech, and therefore they haven't moved. Wow. I, I think um, one of the things that really makes this country great is the First Amendment. But within that um, right, there are time, place, and manner restrictions that the government can place. And I think if they focus on those issues and really take into consideration what is being said before a protest, how protesters are behaving, and they're governing that properly, and they're um, making sure to oversee it, we can continue going forward as a country with the First Amendment intact and making sure that people are able to voice um, their opposition to ideas. But once it gets to the point where it's threatening, where people's lives are at stake, um, we really need to step in and take action. And the other aspect of this really is um, there has to be uh, a willingness for individuals and lawyers to come up and stand for these individuals' First Amendment rights. And we saw with the ACLU of California, they published a statement saying that they aren't going to be protecting the First Amendment rights of um, white supremacists and people who are out there um, making threats. So I the, think if they we, are not, they are not going to. So I think if we have organizations who, again, have been protecting the First Amendment, who are saying this is outside the bounds of what we're even unwilling to um, protect, that really does give the American public a cue of, okay, this is what's appropriate and this is what is not. I concur 100% with you. That's exactly the way it's got to be. That once that cross the line and they endanger a whole population, it's time to put a stop. How is hate speech affecting our society and generations to come? Well, you know, um, when I was a kid growing up, there were signs uh, up and down the state of California that said no dogs or Mexicans allowed. And I can tell you that there's a tremendous um, emotional damage that is done to a child when he hears and he sees those signs. So it took me years and years to overcome that. And I never thought that that would happen again. And yet we are experiencing the same type of thing across the nation. It isn't just kids anymore. It is grandparents. It is parents. It is a whole population of communities, vulnerable communities, I call them. So, For example, I would like to chip in on that as well. Um, part of my work in Alianza Americas, I had to have conversations with families across the country uh, regarding the impact of um, hate speech. And I can tell you a few examples. I'll tell you one. And we found children telling their parents, do not speak Spanish in a public space because you're going to be deported. Do not speak Spanish on a public space because we're going to get hurt. That is wrong because a children should be proud of his or her parents' uh, heritage and roots. And this is the impact of um, hate speech. I have to agree with um, both of the speakers before me. Um, hate speech has a great impact, on, especially on the youth. Um, CARE California is going to be publishing our school bullying report sometime in October. Um, but just looking at that data, um, recently we've seen an uh, increase in cyber um, hate. Um, we've seen an uh, increase in impact on just youth growing up. And if you can't, again, we have the First Amendment that protects 
uh, a Muslim American's right to practice his or her religion, um, if that student is now um, being marginalized for practicing that religion and that female who's wearing a hijab now takes that hijab off or doesn't feel um, proud of her faith or his faith and isn't able to, again, have that place to get the proper education, it does have that long, long-term impact. Um, so anything that our organizations can do uh, to make sure that we're taking down these reports, that we're following up with law enforcement to make sure that the incidents that can be recorded as a hate crime are prosecuted as, as such, and that other reports um, of hate incidents are reported to the county or the state attorney general to make sure that our government officials have the, um, that data. That goes a long way. Um, what we've been doing at CARE for years now is within our civil rights report um, and school bullying report, we take this data, we take it to our local city council representatives, we take it to our state representatives in the Senate and some assembly, and we take it to our federal officials and we let them know like this, these are the issues that are impacting our community and these are the laws that you need to pass so that students feel safe in school. And you know, the, the damage, you asked about the damage that it does to uh, vulnerable community members. It isn't just that it stays right there. You're also poisoning the minds of kids that are white, kids that are not coming from vulnerable communities. You're saying to them, it's okay to hate. It's all right to feel that you're superior to this other group. They grow up then with that kind of twisted mentality of what life is all about, what people are all about. So it, it affects everybody across the board, not only children and not only kids from the vulnerable communities, but outside our own communities, these people are infected with something called hate that leads to hate crimes, that leads to criminal activity at all times. Um, I just want to point out, too, that hate crimes has also gone up for the LGBTQ community. In fact, um, the LGBTQ people are twice as likely to be targeted as African-Americans and the rate of hate crimes against them has surpassed that of crimes against Jews. So I just wanted to make sure that uh, we bring up the LGBTQ community. I want to bring up the former sheriff of Maricopa County in Arizona, Joe Arpaio. He was found guilty and convicted of criminal contempt of court for intentionally violating a federal court order prohibiting racial profiling. And this was specific profiling of Americans of Mexican descent, Mexicans, or anyone that was brown. President Trump came along and pardoned Arpaio. Trump demonstrated that he has no respect for the law, no respect for the American legal process, and basically, through his pardon, demonstrated that he supports racism, that he supports racial profiling. What are your thoughts, Alex? Well, my thoughts are exactly what you have indicated. I mean, he is working against the law. He is uh, uh, giving power, enabling those people to feel that they can do those kinds of things with impunity. And so it's a, a, it's a disastrous point in this country for the president of the United States to be acting in such a manner. Now, you may or may not know that there was a big committee from the United Nations uh, that uh, strives to eliminate uh, racism. And they have asked very specifically the United States to stop this racial profiling, to stop this racism from going forward. And yet, and they made it very plain the following day that in fact they were talking about Trump. 
he is enabling them, and he is, by definition, becoming the racist that he was or has become. Well, the Charlottesville, I'm calling them riots because they were really rioting. They were holding Trump and Pence signs. They feel that that is their leader. They have given them the okay to come out in public and spill their hate speech and hate crimes. And it crosses not only the elderly, but also the millennials. I mean, I've seen millennial young men driving their trucks with the Confederate flag hooked onto their truck. I mean, when was the Civil War? When did they surrender, the Confederates? They surrendered in 1865? I, that's correct. I mean, we're in 2017. What's wrong with them? Yeah, and the I mean, person, it's ridiculous. And the person you, you just cited uh, was uh, doing this in Orange County, right, very close to where we live. And he was driving around in a pickup with a Confederate flag. And then uh, when he was outed, he is now asking people to put down uh, or take off the uh, photograph that they have of him on Facebook. And, you know, first he commits uh, the racism. And then when he is caught and um, set up for people to look at him and say, is this really you? Is this what you believe? Then he... He says, ouch, and he wants that picture taken down. I think, Brenda, one thing to um, your point is while uh, we've gone over legally surpassed certain issues when it comes to racism, systematic racism uh, is still alive and well in the United States. Um, so until the criminal justice system um, is reformed, until the school-to-prison pipeline um, is addressed by our, our representatives and by people at large, um, we're going to continue to see these issues. Um, and one thing that we've seen in the Muslim community is uh, similar securitization of our community. Um, every time you hear, talk about a Muslim or hear a Muslim on most media platforms, it's in relation to terrorism. Um, and we really need to um, step up as coalition partners um, to make sure that that narrative is changing and to, again, bring focus back to these systematic problems and make sure that the proper resources are allocated to them so that we can make change. Okay, I quickly... Brenda, go ahead, Yanina. I would like to add a little bit regarding the uh, Arpaio's case and something that uh, President Trump is not mentioning that uh, Sheriff Arpaio had a big cost to taxpayers in Maricopa County. It's to give you a number, $54 million because of uh, racial profiling cases against him, because of the, he uh, uh, used his power to profile uh, people that he was, um, that, that resides in Maricopa County. So this is one, one item. Um, hate also has a taxpayer's cost. When we have uh, police officers uh, uh, providing security on the streets for the rallies that supremacists are organizing, that also is a cost for taxpayers. So there, there is a human cause, there is a, a, a cultural cause, there is also a taxpayer's cause because of hate speech. That's true. There's a cost to this. And why are we paying for this? You know, why are Americans paying through their tax dollars? I mean, we need to, I mean, I'm outraged. I mean, this guy was found guilty. He was convicted. And here comes Trump and just pardons him. He's guilty. That all, that's all there is to it. And one thing to mention, I think some estimates that I've read are actually in um, surplus of $100 million, the cost that it's cost 
um, taxpayers. Um, and one thing to really keep in mind is he wasn't even given his sentence yet. Uh, Trump stepped in and pardoned him before even the sentence was apparent. Uh, and it just goes to this administration's uh, train of thought is we're going to support people who um, scratch our back. So whether it's Russia or um, with the sheriff, um, he came out very early and supported Trump in the presidential election. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that's not why um, he's being pardoned now. And then there is something else, okay? Uh, Arpaio, emboldened by the fact that he got this bold, this uh, pardon by the President of the United States, has already declared that he's going to be running for office again. What a joke. Well, it's a sad, tragic joke, because can you imagine? He's an 85-year-old man who wants to run to office, for office, to make his point that he can do whatever he wants to do, and the hell with the law. Okay, I did some research quickly on the internet, talking about getting back to the Confederate flag and seeing these young millennials, you know, put this flag in their trucks and go up and down the streets. So I mean, the Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered his army in April 1865, effectively ending the American Civil War. Um, it happened that Cruz Castillo, my son, actually took this picture of the young millennial driving up and down where we were located, and he outed him. And this is a quote from Cruz. The Confederate flag represents a country that was never formally recognized. They lived under a different name with a different declaration of independence and a different president. To claim patriotism to the U.S. of A., while at the same time bearing the flag of the people who didn't consider themselves citizens of this country is the definition of hypocrisy. And that's from a millennial to another millennial. Anything else you want to add about the Coalition Against Hate and what you're preparing in the future? What we are preparing really is to challenge um, the threats against our communities uh, across the country. We have to stand up, and it's difficult, you know, to go to some of these boycotts. It's difficult to go to these boycotts. It's difficult to go to these demonstrations and sit there and know that you're in danger of being hit, of being made, of being... Uh, discarded. And so, but we have to do it. Each and every one of us has to stand up and go to these places and put a face to the counter point of view that we have in relation to these people. Other than that, they're going to continue to do it. Nobody's there to stop. I want our listeners to know how to get in touch with the Coalition Against Hate. There is some great information on the Coalition Against Hate website. Listeners, log on to www breakhate.net, or follow them on social media, hashtag breakhate. Well, listeners, our program is coming to an end. Thank you, Yanidia, Masi, and Alex for talking straight up with us today. You have been listening to the National Hispanic Media Coalition's public affairs show, Straight Up, the station that gives the mic back to the people, your mic, your voice, your community. You can listen to Straight Up anytime from anywhere by visiting www nhmc.org. You can also find our podcast on SoundCloud. I am Brenda Castillo-Nogales signing up. Remember, stay woke, get involved, and take action. on me, gonna
to walk to the scene I'm with the band again to pay our dues But I, I think it's these strings kind of loose I got the word on my shoulders and what is there to do? Just another day. 